pretties welcome to once upon a crime and in today's story we're gonna actually be talking about las bokyanchis i don't know if any of my listeners have ever heard about them but when i was researching what story to be my first story this is the one that really caught my attention and i decided to just research a little bit more because i had never heard about them ever in my life it's a little crazy this story so get ready so Las Pocanchis are actually four sisters and two of them, Delfina and Maria de Jesus, they're the ones who actually get the rap of doing the whole operation, the whole crimes and everything. They're the ones who basically call the shots of everything. So when you do your research on them, they're the two names that always come up repeatedly. I did try to find birth dates and like maybe hospitals they were born in, but since it was so long ago, I really couldn't find anything from when they were born. I couldn't find birth dates, nothing like that. But I do want to talk about the other two sisters, which are Maria Luisa Gonzalez Valenzuela and Carmen Gonzalez Valenzuela. They were the other two sisters, and of course, they were also in the story, very much so. I just, I find it kind of odd that the four of them aren't the ones who like equally share the blame but I mean for some reason Delfina and Maria de Jesus are the ones that were the masterminds you could see. Now they were born um, in El, El Salto de Juanataclan, Jalisco. They were born into poverty. Um, they were born from their father Isidro Torres. He was a very abusive alcoholic man but he was part of the rural police in the small towns. They still do it now they um since they're so far away from big cities they basically have their own police force that is made from people of the town so their father Isidro Torres was part of this so I feel that this added a lot of flame to his already turbulent personality since he had that authoritative figure he kind of took it to the next level with the girls he was very, very violent towards them, and he just drank a lot. So when he considered something of the girls that he didn't like, for example, they were wearing makeup and he didn't allow it, uh, clothing items that maybe he thought were a little bit too sexy looking, he just went ballistic. And usually what he would do to humiliate the girls is to lock them up in the town jail. And he would just leave them there basically and just not feed them, just be very, very abusive towards them. Now their mother, Benardina Valenzuela, she was a very religious woman. She did not like at all when the girls would accuse their father of the abusive things he would do or the humiliating things he would do in front of the town. She would beat them as well to not say anything. So this is the environment that the girls grew up in. It's not something they really escaped from. Um, as they, they grew a little bit older, uh, their father, Isidro Torres, he shot and killed a man when an argument ensued. So this is what made him gain enemies in the town. And he started to fear for his own life and the life of his family. So he decided to pack up the family and move to a small village of San Francisco del Rincón in Guanajuato. So they moved from Jalisco to Guanajuato. It's not that far, but I mean, it's far enough to not get killed basically from anyone. 
Now this town is called San Pancho by locals. And uh, this is kind of like when they got to their older, I would say, just of the, the dates is just so contradictory. Around this time in 1954 when their parents died, I honestly put them around 30, mid-30s, maybe early 40s, around there. So again, their parents died in 1954. And they used the little money that their family had that left them that money behind to actually open up small businesses in the town they owned, uh, in the town they lived in. And by doing so, I don't know, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Mexico, but usually what's done over there is they open up small shops. I guess what you can compare to the states like family dollar dollar tree just has a little bit of everything little trinkets you might need here and there for example they have snacks they have maybe some food they have basic necessities like toilet paper stuff like that so they basically each got their own that they ran and they were this would take them out of the poverty that they so much hated but sadly it didn't it it just was putting food on the table but nothing extra for them to say that they were out of the poverty they grew up in so this actually led them to I save a little bit more money and they actually opened up a saloon now when they first opened the saloon they were hoping that that aside from the small businesses that they had would bring more money obviously but it didn't it was just barely enough. Everything would basically just cover the cost of the saloon. So because of that, they that's when the story starts taking a darker turn. They decided to double the saloon as a brothel house. Now for those of you who don't know what a brothel house is, it's, it's a whorehouse. That's what it is. Now I know in many countries... This is it's normal for brothel houses to be around and they um, they're done willingly by family for from women and sometimes even men so unfortunately in this case it's not willingly they decide to dive into the dark side of the saloon business you could say so because of this they they actually are able to earn more money to open up more saloons across Mexico. So they did open one in San Francisco del Rincón, Purísima del Rincón, León, Guanajuato, El Salto, um, and San Juan del Rio um, in Querétaro State, which is near Mexico City. Now, in one of these um, saloons in Lagos, Jalisco, they actually bought it from a rumored gay man. His name, his nickname was El Pokianchi. So since they bought this saloon from him, they they got passed down the name of Las Pokianchis. They hated that nickname, but I mean, with all the money they were getting in their pockets because of this, it, it didn't really matter to them, but they didn't like that nickname at all. So of course, now that the family business is getting bigger and more revenue is coming in, they split up the location. 
Carmen Delfina and Maria de Jesus, they operated whorehouses in Guanajuato and Jalisco, while Maria Luisa ran her own brothel, brothel house slash saloon near the Mexican border. For years, the sisters made money off the saloons, selling booze and selling girls to soldiers, councilmen, cops, and nearby villagers. Now, I did forget to mention this earlier. When they decided to convert the saloon into also a brothel house, they actually had help from, from, from the police force. I mean, they were basically in cahoots together. <laughs> I mean, the policemen got what they wanted in the aspect of the brothel house while well, they still got to operate. So I think because of this, this is why they operated for so long and it, it just makes me sad because what they did to these girls is just not, it's so unfair. I do want to dive in on the dark side of the brothel house. They would literally take these girls from these small ranches, small cities, small towns, actually not even cities because cities are bigger, but from these rural places they would go hunting for these girls and tell them that hey if you come work for me you'll be my maid you'll be a waitress and of course this appealed to the families even or the girls just knowing that they were getting out of where they were living and maybe even have enough money to send back home so because of this, a lot of the girls agreed, the families allowed them to leave. And then of course there was some that were just like, this is not right, this seems too good to be true. No, they would tell the girls no, or the girls themselves would be like, no, I don't want to. So Delfina, she actually had a lover. His name was Gildo Zuniga. I'm so sorry, I do know Spanish, but these old school names just are something else to me. <laughs> now anyway, the cap, the Delfina's lover, he was actually an army captain. So he would go with the girl, with the sisters, to go get these girls. Like, the ones that said no, he's the one who would be in charge of taking them against their will. Un like them knowing like no I don't want to go they would still go and take them so this is how they would bring girls to these saloons they would snatch them up and they'd never be seen again or heard from again from their fam from the family they were taken from now the virgins they were saved for later awaiting patrons with fat wallets who would pay top peso for these untouched girls. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, they would literally just keep them off to the side. These were their big money makers. So they would wait for these patrons to come in that were willing to pay outrageous amounts of money. Now, the other girls who are not virgins, they would be initiated in a horrible way. They would be tortured, bathed in ice cold water, and raped. This was their welcome that they got so to me it's just so horrible them these these sisters themselves coming from poverty and coming from such a small town and knowing that they would have left themselves if they were given the opportunity and they were just taking advantage 
Now, in this whole time as well, the lover of Zuniga, I'm sorry, the lover of Delfina and her son, nicknamed El Tepo, they were the bodyguards, but El Tepo was the one who would actually run the girls. He's the one who would tell them where to go, how to go anywhere, how to dress, how to wear their makeup. He he kept a close eye on them. Like 24-7, he was watching them. Now, he, he would just beat on them whenever he wanted, of course, but... That's also what like what he used to scare them to just stay. I mean, these girls were scared. They couldn't leave. They were so young, ranging from like 12, 13 to about 16. Of course, the longer they stayed there, the older they got. But that's just how they would keep them there. They, they weren't really able to leave. Now, when the girls got pregnant, they would beat them so badly that um, they would abort the baby. Or the worst part which is crazy to me they would actually tell the other girls to beat the pregnant girl with a stick so they would all beat on her until she'd lose the baby so I mean that messes with you mentally it's bad enough you're somewhere you don't want to and then to turn around and be told you got to beat this girl like just beat her it's just this is what like stuck to me and I was like, I need to talk about this story. This is just crazy how they got away with this. Because when you also think about it, um, these, these, uh, these townspeople were reporting these girls stolen or taken or like, hey, I've never heard from her and she said she was going to get another job. Like, what happened? And of course, the police knew they were in the payroll of the sisters. And that's what's even more like, they shouldn't have gone on for so long. But since they were on the payroll, they did. Now again, when the baby was aborted, they would dump the fetuses in the main branch named Loma del Angel. They would, they basically had mass graveyard sites for fetuses, for um, girls that were too sickly, that died of their own causes because they were so abused or malnourished. And then there were some that had really bad STDs that were left untreated, and obviously they died as well. And then, of course, when they acted up, and, they, and I mean, El Depo just didn't like how they were, he would starve them to death as well. So, once they died, or just weren't needed, or they weren't fulfilling their job, they would just dispose of them in these um, mass graveyard sites on the ranch. Now, the, I mean, this was a huge operation. So El Tepo, uh, Delfina's lover, and even their chauffeur, they're the ones who would handle the bodies and bury them or even try to burn them. Now, the undoing of the sisters, which I quite like. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but in 1963, El Tepo got in an argument with local police, uh, Jalisco cops, in a brothel, and he was shot by the policeman. The policeman shut the place down, and it is said that Delfina just flew into a rage, a black rage, a red rage, whatever you want to call it, and she wanted to find her son's killers. So she sent her lover uh, to track down the, these cops, and he did. 
now in when this is happening i couldn't really clarify if these cops got in an argument because they wanted to find out the brothel house like they knew something was going on they just couldn't prove it and they got in an argument because of that and he ended up dying or if it's because they were on the payroll they didn't like a service or they just argued about something about maybe money and they killed him but it brings me to the next part when this is going down which this is why it makes it a little bit murky there was a new police force taking over there was policemen coming in that weren't part of the payroll and they were hearing these cases of people going missing i mean girls going missing or even just never being heard from again so obviously something's going on and they're kind of on the radar like it wasn't that unobvious that something was going on in these saloons they just couldn't prove anything so what happened is since El Depo was murdered, he was the, the iron fist of the girls. So the lover of Delfina is the one who had to take over. He actually let one of the girls escape. Not willingly. She just was able to get away. He didn't have a chance to kill her on the spot or catch her in time and bring her back and torture her. She literally just escaped from him. Her name is Catalina Ortega. She showed up to police in Leon, Guanajuato, clearly showing signs of abuse and malnourishment. And she did let the police know about the sisters and the brothel they were operating. And she told her story of being prostituted and mistreated. And she was actually in luck because the police force that she was talking to was not on the sisters' payroll. So because of this, they decided to get a search warrant Now again, because uh, she, Catalina Ortega was able to escape, they were able to get the search warrant on January 14, 1964 to search and raid the ranch. They found so many malnourished women on the ranch clearly being held against their will. Many showing signs. <clears throat> many of the girls were actually willing to help the police force and they're the ones who pointed out where the mass graves are, where the bodies could be found. So, of course, when all this is going on, all the sisters are still in luto, which is like they were um, still showing their loss of El Tepo. Sorry, I was trying to like find a way to translate it from Spanish to English. But in Spanish, it's called El Luto, which is their, they're still in mourning, you could say. Yeah, that's, that's what it is, in mourning. Um, so clearly, they were all upset that this was going on. Now, I have to kind of backtrack. So in the ranch, this is where it's Delfina and Maria de Jesus. They're the ones who are at the ranch. Now, I do have to say, I did find out that Carmen, she actually died due to cancer in the late 1950s. So when this happened, Carmen was no longer um, alive. She had actually already passed away. And you're probably going to wonder about Maria Luisa, but right now we'll get to her. So Delfina, 
and Maria de Jesus are the ones that are in the ranch. And while it's all being raided, they actually find on the property 11 men, 80 women, and several fetuses. Now, I did forget to mention that men were also killed, which were patrons of the, the brothels. They're the ones that would come in with the big bucks, remember, for the virgins. They weren't so lucky. Because they were coming in with so much money, they would actually rob them and kill them after they were done using these girls. So they were just twisted. <laughs> I know, these four sisters are something else. When I was reading this, I just couldn't believe that they were okay with this. But then I had to kind of consider their childhood. Like, that's all they were around. They just knew abuse. So I guess for them, it was kind of normal and okay. I'm not saying that if you get abused, you grow up to be like this. But I think in their case, where they wanted to get out of poverty so bad, like, they just overlooked it. So, now, we're going back to Delfina and uh, Maria de Jesus. They're the ones that were captured and... They were originally being held in San Francisco de Rincón, but since the whole town went into an uproar because they were finally found out, they wanted to lynch the girls, the, the two sisters, I'm sorry. So what ended up happening is the judge actually moved them to Irapuerto City. So this is farther from where they are, just a higher detention facility for them to just be left alone and go through trial. Now, a week after that, these two sisters were in jail, this is when Maria Luisa turned herself in, in Mexico City, because she was fearing herself being lynched. She thought by turning herself in that she would be granted immunity, but she was wrong. Oh, all three of the sisters actually got 40 years in jail. Now, Delfina, she was actually the oldest, and she went mad in jail, and... She was really scared that they were gonna kill her in there, but she was actually killed by a freak accident in jail uh, when a construction worker working in the jail above her cell accidentally dropped a bucket of cement on her head. So she died October 17th, uh, 1968. Uh, Maria Luisa, she died alone in her cell in Irapuerto Jail November 19th of 1984. And Maria de Jesus Gonzalez, she was the youngest. She was actually released, although it's unknown as to why and when. It is rumored that she met a man in prison, and once they were both freed, they married and lived their life in obscurity. She died of old age in the mid-1990s. So she actually lived out her life, basically. Now, fast forwarding to 2002, workers clearing land for a new housing development in Purísima del Rincón, um, Guanajuato, which is down the road from the Loma del Angel Ranch, actually found 20 more skeletons in a mass gravesite. Authorities did conclude that they were victims of Las Poquianchis since they were probably buried there in 1950s or 1960s. So, I mean, these girls were serial killers. There's really nothing you can sugarcoat on that. But, Now, I think this story is just super crazy. Like, I can't wrap my head around just how, like, how long they got away with it. But then when I step back, I'm like, okay, well, they were in cahoots with councilmen, policemen. So it's kind of understandable as to why. 
um i hope you guys really enjoyed this first story i'll be back next friday with a new true crime story i do want to ask if you really like my stuff or just want to give me feedback i did create a facebook page it is called once upon a crime go ahead and leave comments there or maybe even suggestions of stories that i can do for you also i did create an instagram that one my handle name is once underscore upon a time um, go ahead and follow me there i'm also gonna put a day ahead what i'm talking about or even that day when i release the video i hope you guys enjoy and thank you for being part of once upon a crime have a great weekend my pretties and please stay safe